Welcome to The Spotlight with the Ambassador and the Chief. In this program, we take a fresh look at some of today's challenges from the economy, education, politics, security, defense, and much more. You'll be prompted to see and think about things just a bit differently. Now, here are your hosts, Ambassador Harry Thomas and Chief Alex Morales. Welcome to the Spotlight. We are your hosts, Ambassador Retired Harry Thomas. And I am the Chief Alex Morales, retired as well. Harry, who do we have today as a guest? We have the dynamic candidate, Lisette Hanowitz from St. Petersburg, who's going to tell us why voters should vote for her in the upcoming elections. Awesome. Lisette, welcome and thank you for taking the time. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited about this. Well, please tell us about yourself. Sure. Well, just a quick background about me. Uh, Born, raised, and educated here in Florida. Uh, I was born in Tampa, uh, raised in Miami, and life brought me back to the Tampa Bay area after law school. I've been uh, in Tampa Bay since 2004 and moved to the beautiful city of St. Petersburg in 2006 and been there ever since. Love it here. Uh, I'm an attorney. Uh, I'm a former state and federal prosecutor. And I am running for city council, uh, not part of my husband's early retirement plan. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, that is a great opening, Lisette, and we can see why people will want to vote for you. Let's go back for a second. Your parents fled Cuba for freedom and opportunity. Tell us about them. It could not have been easy for any of you. No. Um, so my, my family came, I don't know if you know, back in the late 60s, they mm-hmm. had the freedom flights. And that's when my family came. And what uh, precipitated all that is my grandfather was actually killed by the communist regime. Um, if you read, have read Animal Farm, my mm-hmm. mom has pretty much described that environment in Cuba where you mm-hmm. can trust friends. Um, you don't have freedom of thought, the things that we take for granted in this country. Uh, having different political opinions, even though like nowadays it's so divided, uh, but you could still voice those opinions um, in Cuba. You couldn't. And, you know, what happened with my family is, you know, one day my grandfather disappeared. And next, you know, two days later, they get a phone call and they said, you know, told my grandmother that he had killed himself. Well, you know, they saw the body and they saw the marks and you can tell that, you know, it was, you know, there was a hang, you know, it was like he was, he was tortured. Um, and that was a way that they would extract information and try to, you know, get information from people. And I don't know if they meant to kill him or not, but at the end of the day, he, he ended up dying. And so my family um, ended up leaving Cuba when the opportunity came. And I mean, I can't imagine how it was back then. Imagine being in a country like that. And they're like, Oh, by the way, those that want to leave and go to the United States and you out yourself, <laughs> right? Um, you can go on these flights and you can leave, but you know, they didn't make that decision and they left. Um, and my mom and my dad ended up in Perth and boy, uh, New Jersey. Um, and then ended up in Tampa in Tampa Bay. Um, and that's where I was born. So, you know, they've been, they, you know, came to this country in the late 60s, I was born early 70s, so I'm giving my age. Um, and uh, 
And uh, I ended up in my, my, my mom and my dad got divorced and I ended up in Miami. So, you know, their struggle as Cubans um, pretty much is similar to a lot of the Cuban history. A lot of the people that came to this country, you know, during that era. Oh, wow. It's impressive. Uh, so, in other words, you live in the American dream. I am. Yeah. I am. It's it's one of the things that, you know, as a child of immigrants, you don't take for granted um, the freedoms that this country gives you because you're reminded by your family what they give up. Right. Um, it's one of the things as any child of parents that came from whatever country and they escape whatever situation they escaped. Um, you never you never lose sight of what your family gave up to come here to give you a better life. And, you know, and the struggles that they face because they end up, you know, working jobs that make le a lot less than what, you know, they may have made before. They may have language barriers, all sorts of barriers that happen uh, when you immigrate to another country. So that's something that's never really escaped me. And, and I think that's also been a source of motivation. Um, to try to do better and honor, I guess, what they have done for their kids. Because at the end of the day, I think they're doing it for, for their kids in the future, right? Um, and so my grandmother, I remember I asked my grandmother once, you know, would you ever go back to Cuba? And my grandmother said, you know, I don't, why would I go back? This is the country that gave me freedom. This is the country that my grandchildren have been born in. And this is where I will, my bones will lie. Wow. That is impressive because, you know, immigration is such a touchy, touchy, touchy uh, mm -hmm. subject down at this day. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people don't realize that people just don't get up and leave out right. of nowhere. You know, people oh. look for better. Yes. As a matter of fact, I mean, there are lots of Cubans that thought they were going to go back. <laughs> <laughs> to Cuba <laughs> after Castro was not in power. So, um, yeah, there were lots of Cubans that did, that really did think that they were going to go back and not stay here. And well, as, as history has shown, that has not happened. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> sounds like the countries Alex and I served in <laughs> no freedom. Many of them. But Lisette, you were forced to drop out of high school and work. Tell us about that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, my mom was a single mom. And, you know, when I was a teenager, um, I had to stop going to school and start working. But I didn't stop going to school. I ended up going to school at night. Uh, I worked full time during the day and I registered immediately in night school and I didn't get a GED. I got my high school diploma. Thankfully for me, I mean, at that point in time, I was, I'd taken honors classes. So educationally, I wasn't behind. Um, and when I got my GED, um, I enrolled in college, but I was working two jobs. Wait a second, Lisette. Let's, for the readers, what kind of jobs did you have? It could yeah, not have been okay. easy. Yeah. Really? And you, yeah. you, let, let them know. Yeah, so, so basically, you know, when I dropped out, I got a job working as a secretary at this, it was a fabrics place, and it was my first job ever, I, and uh, after that, I ended up starting to work at attorney's offices, because at the end of the day, I wanted to be an attorney, so I figured I might as well get exposure and start working with attorneys, so I was a teenager, 
uh, when I started working as a receptionist at a law firm. And oh, wow. I, yeah, and I had a job in the weekends working at Domino's Pizza at a, as a phone girl. So I'd answer the phone <laughs> at Domino's Pizza and I'd answer the phones at the law firm. And there were times that I'd get it confused. So I'd answer the phone at the law firm like, thank you for calling Domino's Pizza. This is <laughs> and uh, and uh, so that was how I was able to kind of, you know, make ends meet. And then in the during the week, I went to school at night after after work. So I took my classes at night. I worked on the weekends and I still I still would find time to go out and have some fun as, you know, as a young kid. Um, But yeah, it was very challenging, but um, I knew that I had to do what I had to do to get a better life. And, and it was, it was, it took work. There was no if, ands or buts for me. I just had to do it. I didn't have time to think there was another, there wasn't another option. You know, that I like what you're saying. I had to do what I have to do to succeed, you know, and it, that's one of the things I always want to go back to, is, you know, because this land is the land of the opportunity, people want to come here. They don't want to just get a, a freebie. They come here because they want to be somebody and they want to pursue the American drink. And I, I love the way that you just put it out where it said, hey, I'm not looking for handouts. I, I want to earn my stuff and, and I just want an opportunity. That's, that's exactly right. And most of the people I knew, they wanted to just be able to have that opportunity. And if there are the jobs available, you know, and, and have that opportunity to work and earn a decent living and, and be able to, you know, get your education um, was the key factor for, for me to have that economic stability in my life at some point that my family did not have. It was really the educational opportunities that started opening those doors eventually. Um, And me working in a field for a long time, um, I ended up buying my first house when I was in my early 20s. Oh, wow. And it was a townhouse in Miami. And I still remember using that last paycheck, (laughs) you know. You need X amount of money for the d- deposit or whatever it is. And I had to ask my employer, could you know, could I just have my paycheck a few, you know, a week earlier or something like that um, to actually be able to purchase my house? Because I knew that that would allow me later on to build some equity. Um, so it took a lot of work. Oh, yeah, Sound just like Alex's daughter Melody. She's done the same thing. Oh, so really? Yes. <laughs> so that's fantastic. But then you went to FIU. Why FIU? Well, so so of course because I don't have the option of going to a university outside of Miami, and in <laughs> Miami, the only public university is Florida International University. Um, that's where I ended up going uh, to school. Interestingly enough, a lot there's a large Hispanic community in Miami, and mm-hmm. a lot of the Hispanic community ends up staying in Miami because they want to stay close to family. And even though they may have the opportunity to go to other schools, it's interesting they end up staying in Miami. I had, had I stayed because I was working. I you know I had a good job and. Um, I was working uh, full time. Eventually, I ended up becoming a paralegal in-house at Great Western Bank, which eventually became Washington Mutual Bank. That was my last job before I ended up going to law school. 
Um, I got my bachelor's at FIU. I got an MBA working full-time and going to school full-time. It took me two years, 60 credits, getting my MBA while I was at Washington Mutual Bank. And then I ended up at the age of 30 applying to law school. And there were only two schools I applied to, University of Florida and Florida State, because I could not afford a private school tuition. So, and I was going to use my savings to be able to go and, and, and go to law school. So I applied to those two schools and I was accepted to both. It was the most, I cried when I, when I got my acceptance letter, I was so excited. I still remember cause that was the moment in time where I knew my life was going to change. Just it's like any job that you get or anything that you know is going to change your life. And you, that was that moment where I got that acceptance letter that I knew like, this is happening. It's really happening. I can't believe that I'm going to go to law school finally. So, but it's, it's amazing for you to have all that, uh, discipline, right? Cause you said, you know, you got a job, you got kind of lucky to have a job, you know, and a, as an administrative assistant or, right. uh, right. Then you're still working in Domino's. By the way, I was working in Domino's to deliver pizza <laughs> back in the day. <laughs> Domino's was a good way to, to earn, you know, extra money back in the day. Now it's Uber. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but then to continue and all of a sudden, you know, to have the amount of luck, at one point it's luck, but also determination to save enough money to even buy a purchase a house, you know, is, is, is unheard of at that time. You know, it's, it's pretty impressive. Well, thank you. No, I think the opportunity you make, it's a combination of luck and being prepared. And you have to be prepared for those opportunities when they come. Um, I look back and I think I could have, you say, you know, I was disciplined. And then it still took me till the age of 30 to get to law school because I had to work. And it was so frustrating sometimes because you have to balance your life and go to school. And what I tell people sometimes is that doesn't matter, you know. There's a certain schedule in life that people think that they have to meet, you know, whether it's finishing school by a certain age or having kids or whatever. And you know what? If everything was so black and white, but it's not. The reality is what your schedule is, is whatever is happening in your life and you just don't give up. If it takes a little longer, it takes a little longer. But once you have that degree, nothing changes. It doesn't matter if you got it at 30 40 or 50, you did it. And that's what counts. And with luck and preparedness, we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, 
self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to The Spotlight with the Ambassador and the Chief. If you have a question or a comment about the program, drop us a line via email to support at dbaeecsolutions.com. Again, that's support at dbaeecsolutions.com. Now back to The Spotlight. And we're back to The Spotlight. We're continuing with the very modest Lisette Hanowitz, who's the candidate for St. Petersburg City Council, but who must have been an honors graduate at FIU uh, to gain entry to University of Florida Law School. But who are your mentors? Did you have people that helped you, the law firm, your, your mom, or you were just Horatio Alger? <laughs> You know, it's interesting when you ask about mentors because, you know, growing up, I didn't really have a specific role model. Mm-hmm. I, I admired my family, and I know I touched this, uh, you know, upon this earlier. I admired my family for the chances that they took to come to the, in this country and struggle. But when you're struggling all the time and when you're trying to just live your life, it's hard to think about sometimes the future if you have to worry about the present. And I was always worried about the present and getting things done. Um, And it was hard to have mentors because the reality was, you know, my family, they, they all struggled and work, you know, all the time to, to be able to make ends meet. So I wasn't fortunate enough until I was a teenager to be exposed to professionals. Um, I didn't have a family of professionals. I think about my, my daughter and my stepdaughter, and they're surrounded by so many people, right, that could guide them. Um, I didn't have that guidance when it came even for college or, or, you know, how do you go about maybe even scholarships? I would have not known how to do that. And that's something I think that we can't forget as a society for younger kids that don't have those role models for them to have that information and how important it is for them to see that there is a possibility outside of what is around them, that they can do other things um, and enter other professions outside of what they're exposed to. Um, So, you know, when you talk about role models, I have to say probably the people around me that um, strived and and worked um, daily and and tried to get a better life, they motivated me. And that, that was my motivation. Oh, wow. Wow. So... You moved to St. Petersburg in 2006, right? And then you work in the state's attorney's office. Yep. So what were your duties there? Um, by the way, now you own your own law firm, you know, kind of underachiever, I think. I'm being sarcastic. <laughs> it's a compliment. And uh, and what were your duties there, too? Can you? Yeah. So, so basically, I started working at the state attorney's office back in 2006. I was a prosecutor here in Pinellas County. And the way things work at the state attorney's office here is that you, they start you as a misdemeanor attorney and you work up to felony. But they don't, you don't work in a specific felony division. 
um, you basically can take on all sorts of cases. So I worked at that office. I've handled everything from, you know, I started obviously as a baby prosecutor, you know, the simple misdemeanors, but then I worked, I did robberies. I've done rapes. I did a lot of um, child abuse cases. I did the child abuse for a long time and I did capital sexual battery cases. Some of the worst cases ever interviewing children who have been sexually abused. I did that for a while. Um, I've done murder cases. I was, um, I had one of my murder cases actually that was on national TV. I found out right before we were going to go to trial that court TV was going to be in the courtroom. Um, and that, that was a big deal because I never had a trial that was on via national TV. Um, and, um, and so that, that case, you know, ended up, um, thankfully it was a guilty, um, it was a big murder case here. And then from the state attorney's office, I ended up being a federal prosecutor. Uh, and I worked as a federal prosecutor in Tampa and other cases I did there involved, you know, firearms cases, drug cases, child pornography cases. So I did a little bit of everything while I was a prosecutor. So now you own your own uh, law firm. So it's a yeah, different, so, it's well, a different or. So yeah, no, after, after that, I ended up working at a private law firm. I did insurance defense and then I started my own practice and did criminal defense. And what happened was um, I actually not practicing now. I stopped practicing when I had my daughter. We we had a high risk pregnancy, and okay. my my husband. We made the decision um, that I would stop working because as a litigator, it'd be very difficult, um, and we don't want to take any any risks. I was, you know, also of advanced maternal age, as they call it. <laughs> um, and but thankfully enough, we were blessed um, with our little girl. And since he's also an attorney and it would, we don't have any family in St. Pete, we made the decision I stay home with her, which has been, has been actually wonderful. Um, so I've been raising my daughter and that's how I got involved with the community. That's how I really got a knee deep in, in the community work I've, I've been doing for the last few years. Again, uh, you are modest to become a federal prosecutor that people died to become federal prosecutors, Lisette. I mean, you know, that's that is not a modest achievement. Uh, Harry, I, I honestly can't say in my my time as an attorney, and even though I like I said, I, I ended up going to law school at the age of 30. I cannot complain. I've been blessed in terms of the career I've had, um, the cases that I've had as a prosecutor. I mean, how many attorneys have a, you know, a case that is on Court TV, I've been interviewed by Dateline 2020. Mm-hmm. Somebody somebody contacted me today that they saw me on HSN on a show um, that I was on TV and they were shocked because, you know, when you have those cases, they, you know, the, the shows, and this was 10 years ago. This case was 10 years mm-hmm. ago or 11 years ago. So, yes, I've been blessed. I, I know for a fact that I, I'm very fortunate that I've had the career I've had. Well, the harder you work, the luckier you get, you know. Uh, It works that way, yes. (laughs) Now, you're very active in St. Petersburg civic organizations. I am. So tell us about them and what you do. Sure. So basically, you know, when I um, ended up staying at home, I got involved in the Neighborhood Association. Um, I don't know if many people are familiar. The city of St. Petersburg is very active, has active volunteer neighborhood associations. They're not HOAs, 
there are neighborhoods. And um, it started back in the 1990s when the city uh, started with uh, making sure that more of its residents got involved in the neighborhoods, which helped, um, you know, with crime and other issues that they were facing back in the day. So, you know, when you think about neighborhoods in St. Petersburg, histo- you know, historical Northeast, historic Uptown, Crescent Lake, historic Kenwood, all, you know, all these neighborhoods have active neighborhood associations. Um, and they're run by volunteers. When I took over, I, when I moved here um, to Crescent Lake, it was a very active neighborhood association. And like everything with volunteer organizations, if people aren't active, they kind of die out. And when I took it over, it had completely been inactive. We didn't have an active membership. Um, and I rebuilt the organization from the ground up. Um, I, you know, I did all the legal stuff I needed to do. I made a 501c3. I made sure our membership got to the point where we have over 25% of our neighborhood involved, started having events and seeing the benefits of being an attorney and how it can help my community. We have a baseball field here in Crescent Lake where the Yankees used to play. And it's called Huggins Stengel Field. Not a lot of people know that. Um, And they built it for the Yankees back in 1925. And that's where they would do their spring training. They would actually practice at Crescent Lake. And then they would have the exhibition games in um, by the waterfront. Uh, So everybody from Babe Ruth, Joe DiMaggio, Lou Gehrig, Mickey Mantle, you name it, has played in this small baseball field, which is, you know, like a field of dreams, right? Where like the, the high school team now plays. And um, nobody had taken the time to get it on the National Register of Historic Places mm-hmm. or get it as a local mm-hmm. landmark. And I wrote the application. I, I went before city council and, and the commissions you know, to do all that, got it passed. And I also, after I did that, I reached to the state so we can get it on the National Register. And I got that done. And it was something that should have been done decades ago. Um, so it's something that I did for my community that that I that my legal background really was helpful in doing. And plus, I'm not a I'm not a baseball uh, expert, but, but but I am good at research. <laughs> well, uh, that's Miller Huggins and Casey Stinglefield. Yeah. My oldest daughter's named Casey. So I I know this. So it uh, makes me feel good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> makes me feel good. So, so that is. Fantastic. Yeah, so that's one of the organizations I got yeah. involved in. So once I got involved in the neighbor organization and people start seeing what you do, then you they you get start pulling into different mm-hmm. other things. Um, we somebody reached out, they wanted to help the zoned elementary school. Um, so we started uh, Friends of Woodlawn Elementary and got what we did is got neighborhood associations surrounding to get mentors in. There, we have lots of resources in terms of experts in the in the neighborhoods, a lot of the retirees, people that want to be involved and mentor kids. And we got over 30 mentors into a room where they may have had less than five um, mentors at the time at the school. Um, we got a learning garden, you know, six different beds put into the school so they can have a learning garden. Um, and that was led an effort that was led by one of my board members who's a master gardener. Uh, we got grant monies in there so the kids could have these different beds and then they can have a curriculum. She helped with the curriculum so that way they can do something outdoors. Um, so that was something else that we did. And then I'm also involved in the northern organization called the Shirley Proctor Puller Foundation, um, which helps bridge the educational gap for kids in South St. Petersburg. 
Um, I'm a board member there, um, and it's a great organization. So I, you know, I've been able to channel the things that I am passionate about and my knowledge um, to help my community. So that's what has led me to run for city council. Well, I hope you get Angela Bassett to come back. (laughs) (laughs) She's a daughter of St. Pete. I know she is. (laughs) That's that's amazing, actually. That's a good segue because I wanted to touch base with you. What do you think we should do to bring quality education to every kid, you know? Uh, You know, education is a big issue here in Florida. And I will tell you that it is shocking to me, the elementary school that's zoned for our neighborhood here, it's a it's at a bottom 300 of like 1,860 something elementary schools in the state of Florida. And it doesn't need to be that way. And, and by the way, there are other schools in South, in St. South St. Pete that there was a article in the Tampa Bay times of you know, about failure factories and, and, and it is heartbreaking. Um, I think we have a problem. It's a state issue. Um, education funding here needs to improve. Um, it's been under attack for a long time, our public school system here. I think that communities need to find ways to support the school system. I think if, if our state's not supporting it, then we need to find ways as a community to find how we can support it. And even at the city level, it's not, by the way, the school system here, for those that don't know, it's a, it's a county. It's a, like here, it's Pinellas County school system that's responsible for the schools. It's not the city itself. Um, but yet I think, you know, there are ways that the city can support the schools. Um, I think we need to do that. Um, but it, it does take all hands on deck to help the educational system here, because, um, I think people need to make sure that they contact the state legislators, state legislators to make sure that funding goes to school. I mean, that's, that's at the end of the day, what we really need and our community to get involved in their zoned elementary school whichever way they can and we're getting involved we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back have you become a member yet sign up now to become a member of voice america it's always free and easy Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to The Spotlight with the Ambassador and the Chief. 
If you have a question or a comment about the program, drop us a line via email to support at dbaeecsolutions.com. Again, that's support at dbaeecsolutions.com. Now back to the spotlight. And we're back to the spotlight. Lisette, please tell us why do you think diversity is so important? Well, I would like to make an analogy. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. in terms of diversity, you know, to trees, you know, we tree diversity is important because research has suggested that it's a driver to the ecosystem functioning, mm-hmm. right? And I think our society, especially here in the U.S., where we have a diverse population, mm-hmm. for us to function, it is important that our population be able to work together in every respect. And I think we are a more divided society now. Uh, and if we continue that division, we're going to forget what brings us together. I think the more diversity that we have, um, whether it's in the workplace, your circle of friends, the more understanding and trust you can foster within those groups. Um, I, I think that's, that's something that we have to work towards. Um, we did in our neighborhood association, I, I did a diversity and inclusion resolution, right? And for our board. And part of it, it was interesting because we are actually diverse, right? And you look at our board, but yet, you know, it was missing. We were all women. There were no men. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good thing. Yeah. But there were no men. And so interestingly enough, we have this conversation because sometimes we just, you know, you have to make an effort. I, whatever organization you have, you really do have to at some point step back and look and say, okay, are we doing things right? Are we going the right way? Do we have to reevaluate? You know, are we missing something? Um, and, you know, and that's going to be dependent on the area you're in, you know, obviously, and what the population is. Um, and if you are not including a certain group. Um, and I think we all have to be very self-critical. Um, so when we were doing that exercise with our board, I mean, it's, 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 it's funny, but I think we tend to gravitate to people like us. That's and human nature, I think. It, it's human nature. And all groups do that. And I don't think it's shocking that all of a sudden we look at it, it was like all women. And it's funny because, you know, a long time, it's just been all men at the table. And so I think we all need to make a real effort to say, well, you know, what are we missing here? And we did that. We did that as a group. And, you know, now we have, we have a guy that's, that's, that's a board member. That's overpowered. <laughs> you know, and, and so whether it's, you know, and, and the other thing is that people think about diversity, um, in terms of specific things historically, right? Race, ethnicity, nationality, gender, you know, but now you have to look at now sexual orientation or identity, right? But economic status, social status, right? And most importantly, I think, diversity of thought nowadays. Yeah, you, you, you took my, you took my, my thought right? out. Yeah. That, I think that is critical in terms of diversity is diversity of thought. And um, again, we tend to gravitate (laughs) to people that are like us and think like us and we end up being in bubbles. And I think if we are think of inclusivity in in broader terms, 
then in just the simple terms, um, I think we're better off because then we can have the real difficult conversations that we need to be having. So what do you think about, you know, when, because when you talk about uh, diversity, you know, how, how can we achieve that without alienating, you know, people, right. you know, because, you know, they're always saying, oh, you're going to come up and, you know, you're going to talk about that we're, we're this or that. How can we have that conversation? Of, uh, all, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I think, first of all, I think we all need to like how our board had to look at their group. I think we all need to look at each other's groups. I mean, I think if you, you got to look at your group of friends and people and, and say, are you, are you broad in your group enough to be able to have those conversations? Because I'll tell you this, the broader my group is, the more comfortable I feel about talking about anything with any group, because I have friends from different backgrounds and we have those discussions. Okay. Um, so I think you also learn how to give people the benefit of the doubt to have honest conversations you have to be able to give people the benefit of the doubt. And I think what's also a bigger challenge nowadays is this digital age we live in where you see people interpreting what somebody meant in an email or a text or Facebook without the benefit of an explanation, without the benefit of you looking at my face. And I Zoom, you can do that a little bit more, but you looking at my interaction and how you interact, you know, right, person to person, um, it's missing that. And because we have this, this environment right now where it's so heated, it makes it even worse. So you have, you know, things are lost in translation a lot of times. Um, so I think the things like going back to your question, you know, what can we do to, to make sure we're not alienating people is that we need to make sure that a, we have a broader group of people Um So we can have those conversations and we can all feel comfortable uh, having those conversations. I'll tell you this. I, you know, I'm here in St. Pete. I go to Miami. It's shocking to me. Like I go back to visit Miami. <laughs> It's totally different. Huh? <laughs> you could be anywhere. And I guarantee you, there's probably people of six different countries right around you. Easily, easily. And, and you, and you see people sitting at a table from all these different backgrounds, right? And they somehow, right? And they can interact and, and, and share all these things. I'm not saying groups don't have problems sometimes back and forth with each other. That's part of nature. I mean, husbands and wives have problems and they love each other and live together. But, but, but you, that interaction, I think it's, it's huge. Um, and you see the difference in places when you go and you don't have that diversity, right? And, and how awkward it can be because people don't know how, you know, how to interact, right, with the different groups or whatever. Um, so I, I think when you see a place that's diverse and how it interacts and, and the benefits it brings, I think places that don't have that, you know, there is something to learn. Okay. Okay, Lisette. So tell everyone throughout the United States and our listeners around the world, which we have, why you're running for office. Well, I, I'm definitely I'm running for office because I want to continue the service I've been doing in my community. I will tell you that I've enjoyed it. Um, I never thought I'd run for office, to be honest with you. Um, and it's something that I have really gained a passion for um, because I I love our city. Um, there are very few places that you find where people are passionate about where they live. I think St. Pete is one of those places where people are really like you hear people say, I love St. Pete. And um, 
I am passionate about it and I'm in a point in my life where I can do it. I'm fortunate enough that it's a right time, right place for me, right? I, I've given back to my community. I know what I'm getting into. It's not for lack of knowing uh, that I'm doing <laughs> this because I know what I'm getting into. Uh, I'm well aware of the work. Um, I think sometimes people that run for office don't understand that. Um, I think the skills that I gained from going to law school as an attorney, you know, the critical thinking skills, going through a large volume of information, asking the right questions of experts. I'm not going to go in there and know all the answers. I'm not going to know how our water system completely works. I'm not going to know more than the engineer, but I'll tell you, I'll know, I'll know what questions to ask and how to critically think through them. Um, And, and so I think that would be very beneficial to our city. So I, I want to be able to continue contributing um, and I would, you know, love to um, to serve our city. So, what is the message for your voters? What are you telling them versus your opponent? Well, I think the most. I think more than ever. I think we need representatives who are qualified to take on the challenges that our city is facing. Um, anybody that's lived in St. Pete has seen how our city has grown dramatically. Um, and I think right now, you know, we have the redevelopment of Tropicana Field, which is huge. It's coming up. And that's, you know, over 80 acres of development in downtown. They're going to have lots of issues, including obviously a community that was displaced. Um, it's going to have to have some sort of benefit to the community in terms of the development. There's affordable housing issues in our city. Um, not just our city throughout the United States, but trying to find some solutions that are workable. Uh, in our community. I think a challenge that you have for a city that's growing like our city is, how do you keep what keeps our city cool and unique without losing it? And I think that ha that's a challenge that happens to a lot of places um, that are in a growth spurt. Um, so I think that's going to be a huge challenge. Um, I also think that keeping a quality of life is going to be key in terms of how do you balance neighborhoods with the growth in downtown and you're going to have more people coming in and you're going to have more density um, and balance those challenges. Um, and also the other thing that I think I, I bring obviously is, you know, I do care about making sure that all our neighborhoods are safe. And when I, I mean every inch of our city, there shouldn't be one person that doesn't feel safe where they live. And I think that's crucial. I don't think you can have Even in areas of our city that need the economic development, you need the basics. You need to make sure that people feel safe to be able to, you know, start their business and do all those other things. Um, so I, I think that that's something else that I can bring to the table. You mentioned uh, affordable housing. Uh, Harry been trying to buy a house. <laughs> He's been having a challenge. So he can hear you that. Go ahead, Harry. Well, You know, um, we have been to the Carter G. Woodson Library, Chef, Chief Creole Restaurant, and on and on. And it looks, in a few blocks, it can go from high-end to, wow, what has happened? Yeah. And, and now you have the challenge of the, uh, the really good baseball team, Tampa Bay Rays, that people don't go see. That's, yeah. Yeah, well, you have the redevelopment of the Tropicana Field and what's going to happen in the Rays. That's the big question, right? 
Um, I think right now you have the mayor that's been trying to make a decision in terms of, you know, the picking a developer and city council has pushed back, which I think rightly so. Look, this is the last year. Uh, mayor is not going to be, um, here next year and it's going to fall into the next mayor. Um, and this is going to be not just a six month process. This is years and decades in terms of that development. Um, a decision will be made in terms of, um, the raise probably in a few years because, you know, they're not going to wait till the end of their term to decide where they're going to be. So I think that's going to be crucial. And so it will be interesting to see how what happens, whether or not, you know, it turns out that the race stay or, or go. Yeah, I don't understand. It's they won the champions the pennant last year, but they only average about 14,000. And that's when the Red Sox and Yankees are in town. Well, you know, Harry, I've, I've been a Floridian my whole life and I still remember, you know, back in the day when I was in Miami and it, it was like, you know, the Dolphins didn't, you know, the attendance, you know, at the games over there and, and, and all that. I think, you know, it's Florida, you know, college football is, is huge, right? But they've had some problems with some of the professional sports, right? Yeah, the, 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 um, before I joined the Foreign Service for three years, I was an urban planner. So very, oh yeah. So very interested in uh, development. So really, what are your specific plans to, and gentrification is not all bad. Right. You know, so how do you uplift a city economically and educationally while keeping the population intact. Yeah, and that is a real, that's a true challenge. I mean, that is, that's a challenge that, I mean, I think every city is facing, Mm -hmm. right? Because what happens is, as an area improves, gentrification happens, right? And the good is, obviously, the people that are there Mm -hmm. uh, that can, you know, their property values go up and and own, you know, and and, and typically, you know, it could be a a middle class, you know, they, Mm -hmm. they, they benefit from it, but then people at a lower level don't. Um, the, you know, there are certain tools that the city uh, can possibly mm. use to help. Uh, I, I know that, for instance, there is city-owned land, and that's where the city can actually do, use a little bit of control, and possibly through land development trusts, for instance, where you know the city owns the vertical part, you know, the land itself, and then they can have a trust, and then... Um, they can control, you know, the development and make sure that you can, it can be affordable. Um, that's a possibility. Um, and, you know, obviously they're doing other ways of using city land to be able to incentivize developers to build affordable housing. Well, I think it's not just the city, by the way. I think you need county money and you need definitely need state money for the affordable housing portion because it's a much bigger problem that's going to, you know, the city's not going to have the fund itself. It's going to need more funds. Well, I'm going to turn it over to Alex, but in New York, we did uh, housing where people could buy single family homes in the South Bronx, which was the hood of hoods when we did it. And people bought those houses with federal, state and city money and mortgages. And they were, uh, <clears throat> basic three bedroom, one bathroom houses. 
But if you go back to the South Bronx now, you'll see people have put carports, garages, <laughs> yards, all of this because they got to own it, even with the government's help. But they took care of it. And I'd love to see that in so many places, but I'm I'm turning it over to to Alex. No, no, this is amazing. I'm enjoying the conversation. Well, we had two minutes left, so please, uh, Lisette, feel free to say anything to the people who you wanted to vote for you. Well, first of all, I just want to thank Harry and Alex. Uh, you've been wonderful uh, throughout this uh, podcast. I've enjoyed all the questions and talking a little bit about my past and, and my view of what I think, you know, our city needs. Uh, you know, I think that I um, can bring my experience to the city as a city council member at a time in our city where we're at a point where our growth is going to determine, you know, what type of city we're going to be in the future. Um, there are going to be some crucial decisions that are going to be made in the next four years. Um, I have proven myself in terms of my commitment to the city and to our community through my work as a president of our neighborhood association. And I've also proven myself in the things that I can do. Um, so I would be happy to represent not just our district, which is district four, but the whole city of St. Petersburg. And I would be, believe it or not, the first Hispanic city council person ever. <laughs> awesome. Oh my God. Go ahead, Harry, take us out. Well, thank you, Lisette. We encourage voters to listen to your platform and to support your candidacy. You are wonderful and too modest. Talk more about yourself. You've achieved everything. Well, thank you so much for taking the time, Lisa. We're, uh, we wish you the best and good luck in your candidacy. So this was the Spotlight with the Ambassador and the Chief. Thank you for tuning into the Spotlight with the Ambassador and the Chief. Be sure to join Chief Alex Morales and Ambassador Harry Thomas again on the Voice America Variety Channel.